Hey everybody, this is Pastor Todd, and you're listening to the Grace Community Church Sermon Podcast. Nice to see you today. If you're a guest for the first time, welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. Very nice to see you. I just want to acknowledge the Buckleys. Welcome back. Good to see you. It's uh, really, really a highlight um, as these weeks turn to months to see um, some of you showing back up again physically. I just want to acknowledge all those of you who are watching at home. And Dev, if you can indicate to me my master, that'd be great. Just want to uh, bless you and thank you for joining us online. And I want you to know that we see you. And every day when I finish church here physically, the first thing I do when I get home is uh, sit down and watch this week's service with you. So uh, I'm with you, praying for you, and I love you very, very much. Welcome to church today. I hope that you uh, encounter the life of God in a real way this morning as we work our way through God's word. I just want to say... Um, by way of acknowledgement and respect, that uh, I would have come to church today just for Jules Kickert. Uh, when I heard that Jules is going to be back singing today for the first time since March, I was about uh, fit to be tied. So Jules, I love you. I'll give you honor in this house. Thank you for uh, helping to lead us into worship this morning. We uh, celebrate every small little win. If you've read anything about surviving difficult times, you'll know that every win counts. And so that's a win this morning, Jules, and I appreciate you. We're in our best ever series, working our way through the book of Micah. Hope you're enjoying it. I'm getting lots of good feedback on it. I know that uh, many of you have never studied the book of Micah for yourselves. And so I hope that the uh, Bible comes to life in a really profound way as we work our way through this series. Following this series, we'll be in our Advent series. Can you believe it? Christmas is on its way. I will actually hang the Christmas lights at my house today um, because why not? When it's 20 degrees outside, everybody wins. But Christmas is on its way. I'm excited for our Advent series. I'm excited for Christmas Eve with you and uh, excited to begin the new year. When we come to January 2021, we will all give 2020 a good kick in the butt and uh, hope for better things, beginning with a study of the book of Exodus on January the 10th. And so I'm really excited to take you from the formative chapter, Exodus 1, right through the events of the Exodus itself in uh, this year's winter series. Looking forward to that. For today, though, we find ourselves in Micah chapter 4, and I'm really excited about this one. I was hooting and hollering when I finished writing it, so as long as I don't screw it up, this should be pretty good. Maybe somebody has said to you in your life, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. The only problem with this phrase is that it is leveraged on the future. It's going to be all right. And the problem with most of our human experience is that we live it in the now. And so when you say it's going to be all right, I think it helps to a degree. But there's always distance between what you're experiencing right now and that all rightness that is promised to you. It's going to be all right. So the question for this morning, the challenge, if you will, in today's text is to find ways to draw hope from the future into the present. That's what I'm hoping to do today. I'm hoping to help you from Micah 4 figure out some ways that you can draw hope from the future into the present. And I believe you can do that by hearing the word of the Lord from Micah chapter 4. This is a great one. It's, it's probably the best chapter in the whole book. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains 
and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations far away. Here it is. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man, every woman, under his, under her vine, and under their fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? The pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled and let our eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples and shall devote their grain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. I mean, man, in some ways I wish I could preach the whole chapter. Micah chapter 4. I've been saying this every single week. I just want to remind you real quick. Micah is a book of prophecy. When I preach to you from a prophetic book, I want to ask you to consider two questions. One, does this resonate to me today? It doesn't always. Okay, we're talking prophecy here, the forth telling of the word of the Lord. So sometimes it will resonate for you like someone struck a bell in your heart and mind. Some weeks it won't. So ask yourself that question. And look, if it's not ringing for you today, then hopefully there's one or two or three or four other points that will be helpful in your journey with Jesus. But if for you the bell tolls today, if the word of the Lord is for you today, then make sure you listen. And if it is for you, then ask the next question, okay, what am I going to do next? If God in his mercy is speaking to me, what is my next step? Micah chapter 4, how to live a someday kind of life today. The first way to live a someday kind of life today is by counting on it. We get this out of verse 1. It shall come to pass. Almost as soon as I started working through the text, it struck me that there's quite a few shalls in the first five verses. I didn't realize it all the way, all at once, but it began kind of tickling at the corner of my consciousness. There's a lot of shalls here, and it shall come to pass. So good old Pastor Todd did what Pastor Todd sometimes does, and I stopped and counted up every single one of the shalls in the first five verses. I underlined them, and then I highlighted them, and there are 13 shalls in the first five verses. If Micah 4 is the word of the Lord, 
And if it is the word of the Lord for you today, then I want you to notice that God is working very hard to make sure that you get the point. It shall come to pass. You missed it? It shall come to pass. And they shall. And he shall. And she shall. And we shall. And they shall. It shall. Hallelujah. Come to pass. You can count on it. Here's the point. You can count on God. You can count on his story. And you, my dear friends, I love this part the best. You can count on your place in God's story. God's story is pretty interesting because it involves God. It's pretty inspiring because it involves him. But it doesn't become beautiful unless we are involved. Amen? Like from our perspective? I can observe it as an outsider and celebrate it for its greatness. But the moment you tell me that I have been invited into the story of God, all of a sudden I want to shout and I want to dance and I want to sing and I want to change my life. You can count on God, you can count on his story, and you can count on your place in it. And so the applicable question for you today is this, are you living like it? Are you living truly, practically, day by day as if God can be counted on? As if his story is true? And as if you have a place in the life of God himself. Maybe think on that this week. I guarantee you, if you start living like you actually have a place in the life of God, you'll be living a someday kind of life today. Count on it. And point number two, act like everyone's coming. Oh, I love this out of verse one and two. And nations shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. I don't think you can be a Bible preacher and come to the word nations and not give a little shout of praise in your heart because nations will come to the house of the king. And as if to drive it home, the second time the word nations appears here in the Hebrew text, it's different than the first time the word nations appears. Nations shall flow to it. Literally means nations, amim. Different countries shall flow in the Hebrew, shall river to it. As if they finally gave up their protesting, jumped in the river, and are floating on home to Zion. Somebody say amen. Is that a nice image? Nations, lots and lots and lots of people are on their way home. Believe it. Live like it's true. This is an invitation for you as Christians to stop dealing with our culture from a place of inferiority. Do you ever feel that way? You feel like you're the minority? You feel like a misfit, like you don't fit in? Okay, let me use the word nations to boost your confidence a little bit, to remind you that though the gate is narrow and the way is difficult and few are those who find it, our God is the God who framed the cosmos. And I am betting my life on the fact that from his perspective, few is many, many, many more than I could ever imagine. Why else would Micah 4 say that the nations are on their way home to the house of the king? Hallelujah. Live like everyone's coming. Even the strangers. The second time the word nations shows up here, it's not amim, the Hebrew word for nations. It's goyim. 
And goyim means strangers. Growing up as a boy in Israel, I was constantly called a goy. A goy is a pejorative term. It's almost a racial slur. No, it is. It's a racial slur. Of course, you can be a goy from many different races. The point being that you're not of the Jewish race. I fought more Israeli kids for calling me a goy than I care to admit. It's like being called the N-word. It's like being singled out for some other reason that you can't control. Goy. Goyim. Strangers shall come. Are you feeling this like I am this morning? Somebody nod at me if you're feeling it. Strangers shall come to Jerusalem. <laughs> we who were not a people, now the people of God. Hallelujah. If you ever felt bereft, alone, singled out, and forgotten, there is room for you in God's house. Hallelujah. Strangers shall come. Um, here's the applicable point. If there's room for you in God's house, who else is there room for? May I invite you because of the gospel of Christ to live in such a way that everyone's coming. And yes, for those of you who are bibliophiles, I understand the concept of election and adoption. I understand the theology of reprobation. I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that everybody's going to make it just because. Okay, I understand these things. But those details of who's in and who's out, of who's a sheep and who's a goat, are known to God and God alone. So from our perspective, I think it's a much more attractive way to live. To live as if everyone's coming and to leave the details up to God than to live as if somehow we have gotten a glimpse at the divine ledger and we have been given the authority to decide sheep from goat, right from left, in from out. I would like to be the pastor of a church filled with people who never do such things. Filled with people who, if they have ever done such things, begin walking in repentance from this day forward. Because he's God, and we are not. Hashtag make room. Make room. And point number three, uh, live a teach and walk kind of life. I get this out of verse two. Point number three, right, if you want to draw hope from the future, if you want to begin living a someday kind of life today, here's how. Live a teach and walk kind of life out of verse two. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Here we find the two operative key words, teach and walk. That he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. First question, do you truly know God's ways? I must urge you, not because I'm a religious person, but because I'm a priest who knows and loves the Lord, and I'm your pastor, and I care for you, and I'm charged to greater or lesser degree with the care of your soul. So let me urge you to do the work that only you can do to learn God's ways. You cannot learn his ways vicariously through a preacher, through a worship leader, through a small group leader. 
You must learn God's ways for yourself. One of the greatest problems with Christendom in the West is that it is so biblically illiterate. Let me speak here particularly to the men for a moment, particularly the young men. Many of the young men in my sphere of relationships were not raised by good godly men. They were not raised by biblical quality patriarchs. They were not raised by men who modeled for them the study and the reading of the scriptures. I grew up in a house where there was a Bible on every reading chair. I grew up surrounded by grandfathers who without fail, even in the midst of summer vacation, took their Bible with them at seven in the morning after breakfast, walked down to the beach, and there studied the word of the Lord, sometime for hours on end. And yes, my grandfathers were both men of the cloth, preachers of the gospel of Christ, but I grew up with friends whose fathers and grandfathers were not professional ministers, but who lived that same kind of rhythm. And I want to urge the young men of our congregation, and if you're watching this online and you're a young man, I want to encourage you, I want to urge you to learn the Bible for yourself. There are all kinds of cues that the culture gives you that say this is how you measure your manliness. And I want to tell you that a real man is a man who knows his God and knows what his God is about and is doing everything he can day by day to walk in the law of the Lord. Why do I single out the men? I've said this before, I'm on record as saying it. I believe that women, generally speaking, are more righteous than men, wholesale. All the ladies said, right? I know more women who are more devoted to the study of God's word than their male equivalents. So I am by no means excluding you ladies. Know the ways of God if you want to draw hope from the future and then walk in them. Do you see why it's so important to know what God is about? So you can know how to live what God is about. And you need to know what God is about to the degree that it is almost internalized, like you almost know it without thinking. That's when the way of Jehovah begins to appear in your life unconsciously. And that's when you begin walking in his paths because you don't have to think about it. Know his ways, walk in his paths. I wrote this little ditty for you, Nikki Fraser. So here's how you do this practically. I'm married to a very practical person. All right? You want to know his ways and walk in them? Here it is. You're welcome. Bible every day. Worship on the way. What did Jesus say? Bible every day. Worship on the way. What did Jesus say? Is it that simple? Yes. The start is that simple. To make space every day to study your Bible. I'm not talking cursory. I'm not talking one verse here, one verse there. I'm talking a systematic approach to studying the entirety of the Bible. Bible every day. Worship on the way. Let me invite you to begin interrupting your days with worship. Wave at me if you do this. Don't be shy. If you're in the habit of interrupting your day with worship... A few of you are so shy, these Canadians. All right. Jeff Lampkin was the first to wave at me. I see you, brother. Jeff often sends me texts in the middle of the day with songs. Have you heard this one? <laughs> and I often send songs to Kath or now to Josh. Matt Brace, I see you, often sends me, have you heard this song? You need to listen to this song. I come down in the kitchen. My wife already has worship music playing. 
Maybe instead of a podcast on your way to work, you should listen to some worship music. Just interrupt your life with worship. Worship on the way. And then when you're studying your Bible, as you're worshiping the Lord and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, always be asking the question, what did Jesus say? Do you like it? Is it good? Did I, am I winning? <laughs> Bible every day. Worship on the way. What did Jesus say? We do that so that we tune our hearts to the future world so that we can begin living it today. Did you hear me? We don't read the Bible, worship Jesus, tune ourselves to his voice out of some religious duty or because we want to be good people. Hear me, without equivocation. We read our Bible every day. We worship on the way. We ask, what did Jesus say? So that we can tune ourselves to the future worlds, to Olam Haba, the world that is coming. The world that Micah 4 is talking about, to tune ourselves to that world so that we can begin living it today. And point number four, we learn to live by the law and the word because God is in charge. I get this out of verse two, C through three A. If you ever wonder what A, B, and C means when I break a verse down, you can just look at the verse and you'll see typically that it's broken into sections. So in this case, since I've said 2C, you can kind of look ahead in verse 2 behind me. You see, okay, that's the first part. That's probably A. That's the second part. That's probably B. He's starting at the third part, C. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. So I want you to notice here two things that we're about to flip on their head. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The law and the word. Through a Christian lens, from a Jesus-focused perspective, the law and the word flip to the love and the logos. Okay, so the law and the word. So from Micah's point of view, the law is the law of Moses. The word of the Lord is the word of the prophets, in this case him, as he prophesies the word of the Lord to God's people. That's what Micah means by the law and the word. Because of what Jesus has done, Jesus came after the ministry, long after the ministry of Micah. Because of what Jesus has done, the singularity of who he was and what he accomplished for us at his cross and in his resurrection in his ascension, in his sending of the Holy Spirit to build his church, which is now 2,000 years down the road from the events of Jesus' life, because of Jesus, we flip the law and the words to the love and the logos. What do I mean by this? We know now that because of Jesus, the law of Moses has been encapsulated in the great commandment as contained in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. So from Jesus' point of view, and therefore from you, your point of view as a Jesus follower, the law has now flipped into the law of love as outlined in Matthew 22. So the law flips to the love, and the word of the Lord through the prophets flips back to the word it always was. In John 1, 1 we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Logos, the eternal spoken word of God the Father, the one who was in his incarnation known to us as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
All words from the Lord ultimately find their grounding in their being and their wordness in the word, in the logos. And so the law and the word flip to the love and the logos. If you want to live on the right side of God who is the judge, that's the scary part. In verse 3, he shall judge between many peoples. If you want to li- I don't know about you, but if there's a cosmic judge, I definitely want to live on the right side of him. Just saying. So if you share that impulse with me, if you want to live on the right side of Thanks God who is the judge, podcast, you do this by focusing on the love and the logos. Isn't it so fun today? It's so practical. Bible every day, worship on the way. What did Jesus say? Focus on the love and the logos. What am I supposed to do day by day? Love God. Love people as you love yourself. If it's a really tough day, learn to love God as you learn to love people while you're learning to love yourself. But keep at it. The love and the logos. You live in tune with Jesus. What did Jesus say? Bible every day. Worship on the way. What did Jesus say? You focus on the love of God, the love of people, and the love of self, and you focus on devotion to Jesus. I'm a Jesus person now. Your whole life ought to be different because of that great truth. That's how you live today like it's tomorrow. Also, point number five, live in peace because the war is over. I love this out of verses three and four. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every person under their vine and under their fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Friend, you should, I'm trying to smile. There you go. I'll get, I get like brownie points from Becky when I smile in my sermons. The war is ending. Peace is on its way. And I got to say, in case you're feeling especially cynical today, that Micah's not the only one who feels this way. Isaiah 11. I mean, receive it, friends. This is an early Christmas present from Pastor Todd. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt at his waist and faithfulness the belt at his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea I mean somebody say something to help this preacher out hallelujah right hallelujah Lord Micah's not the only one who thinks that the war is over and peace is on its way. And I'm here to tell you today, because I'm a Bible preacher who preaches about Jesus, that it is because of Christ and his cross and the empty tomb that this is true. 
And I gotta say for you, if you have a war going on inside of you, in Jesus, you can find freedom and you can find peace. If that's you today, even as you're watching, you can come to Jesus right now. You can say, Jesus, I give. I'm in. I wanna be one of your people. Forgive me of my sin. Make me yours today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Begin teaching me from this day forward what it means to learn to love, serve, follow, obey, and enjoy you all the days of my life. Thank you for speaking to me today in this moment. Praise you. Hallelujah. Welcome to the family, friend. Welcome to the family, friends. It's because of Jesus that you can lay down your sword <laughs> and pick up your rake. That's the imagery here in Micah, right? The imagery of war gives way to the imagery of harvest. Bless the Lord. But how do I know this is actually going to happen? Because um, God said so. Verse six, or point six, verse four. I always hear handle in my mind, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. How do you know this will actually happen? Because God said so. Verse four C, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. God said so, so live like it. So awesome so powerful, so difficult. God said so, so live like it. But how could that ever be enough, Pastor Todd? If you find yourself at any moment struggling with God saying so being enough, let me remind you that belief is called belief because it's belief and faith is called faith because it's faith. It is not easy to live this way, but it is the only way to live. The only way to truly live. And here's the wonderful thing about hope. <laughs> Receive it. Even if you have only the tiniest little bit, hope grows. Hope grows. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. Even the littlest kernel of hope will do to start. So don't feel like you have to be a spiritual giant <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> Isn't this comforting today? Isn't this joyful? Even the tiniest kernel will do because hope grows. Hope grows, church. And band, you can join me because I'm almost done. Hope grows, so get on the journey and start walking in forever right now. Don't miss that. Get on the journey and start walking in forever right now. We get this out of verse five as we close. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I want you to sit down on, I want you to settle into the but we. Micah is saying this thousands of years ago. Nothing has changed about the human story. Everyone follows their own God. Can somebody say amen? It's exactly how it is in our world. Everyone follows their own God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Friend, a best ever kind of life is not so much about what other people do. A best ever kind of life is about what you do. 
It's about what you do, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Friends, we walk in Jesus' name. And we will walk in Jesus' name, not just now, but forever and ever. If you are walking in Jesus' name today, in some ways, you are walking in forever right now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're walking in forever right now? Exactly. You're walking in forever right now, which is why it's going to be okay. And somebody said... Amen.